Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. We are examining the premiere of Discovery, The Vulcan. Hello. We start off with Klingons and what would appear to be a powerful leader proclaiming that the time has come for them to remain Klingon. He goes on to say the Federation's greeting is fatal to Klingons and their culture. We come in peace. Two, well, three interesting things about this scene. First, these are not my mama's Klingons. Updated look, not, honestly, not too dissimilar from the revamp in the motion picture. They're speaking in Klingon, certainly the first Star Trek series to open with subtitles. And finally, this dude has quite the following. As he's speaking and the camera pans around, there's a huge group of very attentive Klingons hanging on his every word. Can make the assumption this Klingon is leading from a place of, well, fear-mongering with a ton of charisma. He's really well-spoken. He looks good. People want to listen to what he has to say. And he's also conveying a, a unifying message. But it's, but it's a message that their race, their species, is under attack by others that are not as they are. While this can be a frighteningly effective leadership style, if your goal is simply for people to follow you, it, it, it's not sustainable, and it tends to create a very, very dangerous cult of personality. This dude, he, he, he's got a vision. He's effective in delivering that vision. But what happens when he's no longer part of the equation? Well, I'm sure there'll be more on that. Quick changeover as we meet our protagonist, Michael Burnham. She's, uh, she's walking through the desert with her commanding officer, Philippa Giorgio. They're in desert gear, not quite to Fremen standards, but it'll do. Uh, and that gear covers Burnham's ears. She's giving every behavioral indication that she's Vulcan, but she's not. She certainly behaves and communicates, though, the way we've expected from, from one. I estimate one hour, 17 minutes, 22 seconds. This scene... Visually, it's good. Visually, this is pretty ridiculous. Uh, long story short, they they walk around in the desert. They create the Star Trek Delta Shield uh, in the sand so their ship, the Shenzhou, can find them. Sure, yeah, what, what whatever. The silly dance really is irrelevant, and uh, it's it's just an excuse for an incredible conversation. Giorgio, the commanding officer, is conducting a nearly flawless one on one with her subordinate. First, it's a walking meeting. From a wellness standpoint, this is a great way to hold meetings instead of just sitting in a chair across from each other. But also, this, uh, this helps break down the interpersonal barriers. It breaks apart the inherent power dynamic of, of two chairs and a desk. You're just two people going for a walk. Then, Giorgio moves straight into career development. I think it's time... That we talked about you having your own command. Burnham has served under Giorgio for seven years. She feels it's time for Burnham's next step in her career. Then she masterfully switches the conversation between development to the current situation, back and forth. But she always keeps the focus directly on 
Burnham to demonstrate how her skills and experiences have prepared her for a change. In this short scene, Georgia establishes herself as a leader that is laser-focused on her staff and her crew. She knows them well. She knows how to motivate them. It's also really clear that she has tremendous experience and readily shares it. Burnham here is established as a scientist. This is demonstrated both in what she says and in the questions she asks. As a scientist, she's actively seeking to to understand. Uh, That's a quality that would serve any leader well. She actively listens to what Giorgio asks, what she's really asking, and then asks her own questions based on that to, to not only learn, but also to communicate her understanding to Giorgio. What a great way to open the episode and the series. Maybe not necessarily from like your standard television standpoint, but we've just gotten through the open and we've identified two leaders. In in just two scenes, we understand at a high level their styles, we understand their goals. From a leadership standpoint, leadership development standpoint, yeah, this is great. We're on the Shenzhou. May 11th, 2256. This places us two years after the events of the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, and about nine, ten years before the time that Kirk took command of the Enterprise. They're studying some damage to interstellar relays. We see the Shenzhou's bridge is actually on the underside of the ship's saucer. Pretty cool. The relays are in a system with binary stars, so it's kind of rare. And we get a chance to meet some of the crew, including the chief science officer, Lieutenant Saru. He's Kelpian. The theory they're working with is that the damage was intentional, but there's no way of knowing who caused it and and why. There's some real interplay here between Burnham and Saru that demonstrates underlying conflict. Uh, suggests here it's mostly playful, but it, it's it's kind of hard to tell at this point. There's definitely definitely some feelings under underlying it. Ultimately, they agree with each other on the damaged relay, which leads to just an incredible line from Giorgio. I'm shocked as well. And Zincana, agreement between my senior officers. Note the date and time. Noted, Captain. This is another great note in the symphony of Giorgio's leadership. She's aware of the tension between the two and uses humor, gently, to both acknowledge their work and to diffuse the situation. They find an object they believe might have damaged the relay. There's more back and forth between Burnham and Saru. He really shows his aversion to anything even perceived as a danger. I'm sure we've all worked with that person, right? Absolute definition of risk aversion. That's Saru. Saru's Kelpian. He thinks everything's malicious. Burnham, though, is able to convince Giorgio to allow her to get into a thruster suit Check it out in person, despite the tremendous personal risk. On a sad but well-expected note, we hear the ship's computer, and it isn't Majel Barrett. First time. Please specify how you would like to proceed, sir. Commencing airlock depressurization sequence. In a visually incredible sequence, especially for a TV show, uh, Burnham heads to the object. Once she gets there, she finds a large ancient structure, very Ron D. Moore Battlestar Galactica looks there. Oh, oh yeah, and, and there's a Klingon standing there in an EV suit. Hmm, look at that. Minor scuffle involves a new take on the Batleth, and it ends with the Klingon dead and Burnham knocked out and free-floating back towards the Shenzhou. Georgia is very worried. She's actually, I'd say she's personally terrified for, for Burnham's safety. Little time has passed, and on a Klingon ship, we see the dead Klingon wrapped and in a decorated coffin prepped for burial. He's identified as the 
Torchbearer, the Klingon leader from the beginning to Kuvma, sends the coffin out of the ship as they give the classic Klingon warning to Stovakor that a warrior is coming. The coffin attaches itself to the outside of the ship, along with hundreds, if not more, of other coffins. Takuvma ends the funeral with his familiar and very effective rallying cry. Remain Klingon. Burnham makes it back to the Shenzhou, but she's near death due to radiation poisoning. We see a flashback to her childhood where she was raised um, on Vulcan. We see her as a young student in a learning pod studying the Klingons. Computer asks about the most recent Klingon terror raid, and the young Burnham freezes, completely unable to respond. She begs and begs for the program to stop, and then an adult Vulcan stands above her pod. It's Sarek, Spock's dad. We all remember Sarek, right? Well, he chides her emotional response and encourages the use of logic to overcome the challenge of her human heart. Given the behavior that we saw from Burnham at the beginning of the episode, this really helps paint the picture about, uh, about what developed those behaviors for her. She's in sick bay and uh, she learns that she's been back on the ship for three hours. And despite not completing her treatment, she heads straight for the bridge. She blurts out, There are Klingons out there. We need to go to Red Alert. Out there, right? They're in this big space with, with, with a lot of unknowns. Giorgio lets us know that no one has seen a Klingon in a hundred years. Burnham insists that she encountered a Klingon. Giorgio shows unwavering trust in Burnham and calls for Red Alert. There are Klingons. This is incredible what happens right here. Burnham is, is, is sick. She's covered in, in radiation burns. Uh, she, she's, she's just absolutely mad right now. Uh, Giorgio gives one little challenge, one little question about it. And once Burnham kind of doubles down on her feeling, she, she shows complete trust in her and calls for action. Saru, on the other hand, immediately recommends retreating, but Giorgio responds that that is not an option. Giorgio here, gosh, in addition to showing tremendous trust in Burnham like we just talked about, also demonstrates a clear alignment with Federation goals and values. She's putting on an absolute clinic on leadership in crisis. What's key here is that even though there are unknowns, there's potential danger and extreme danger based on what they know of the Klingons. She goes back to what she knows, to the mission, the vision, the goals of the Federation. That helps guide her decision, and, and, and she is unwavering in that decision once, once she's made it. This is going to help inspire confidence in every single person on the ship, everyone that she is responsible for, by her being able to make def- decisive action that aligns with the, 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 the mission that everyone has signed up for. It's really going to set the Shenzhou up for better performance in this entire situation. As they run some scans, a massive Klingon ship decloaks in front of them. They inform Starfleet Command, and they start attempting to, to contact them, but, but the ship does not respond. On the ship, Takuvma is looking for a new torchbearer. His followers begin to show some doubt. They're not stepping forward to claim the title, until one follower, Vok, son of none, Vok, he's an albino Klingon without a house. Uh, he, he finally steps forward. Takuvma's followers immediately rip into him because he's not of noble blood. He's an outcast, but he claims his worth not by blood, 
but by faith. He proceeds to preach his faith in Calus and into Kuvma's plan to follow his, his vision. Takuvma considers his words very carefully. Then, and it was really a big, big moment, he defies tradition and adheres very strictly and directly to his vision of Kalos' dream. And he accepts Voke as the torchbearer. And he does so despite the institutional biases within the Klingon culture and hierarchy. This, this is excellent leadership. Uh, Takuvma is a very complex, uh, complex character. Uh, he, he's promoted in, in, he's promoting an individual, not based on their unearned privilege, uh, but, but for their dedication, their loyalty, the adherence to the mission, the mission and the vision, both Takuvma makes his choice and his followers cheer that decision. Even though just a few seconds earlier, we were seeing clear prejudice from them. You have to wonder, is this because Takuvma's courage and because of Takuvma's courage and leadership or it's because they're afraid? Is it because he actively uses fear as a motivator and the, his followers are, are afraid to visibly disagree with his choice? I think that's the real risk. One of the real risks that comes with this, this leadership style. Saru on the Shenzhou makes a very alarming discovery. He finds that the Klingon ship is entirely covered by coffins filled with dead Klingons dating back thousands of years all the way to just a few hours ago when they sent the, the, the prior torchbearer out there. At that point, he really strongly advocates for Burnham to recommend retreat. This shows that Saru understands the power dynamic um, on this ship. He understands that Giorgio trusts uh, Burnham implicitly. And so he tries to take advantage of that. And this isn't a bad thing whatsoever. It's, I think it's, it's critical to understand the power dynamics in, in any situation and know who has influence over decision makers. Saru shows that he has that, a real testament to his survival, um, his survival instincts. But he, he advocates that Burnham tells Giorgio that they, they need to retreat. We learn a little bit about his race, the Kelpians. On his planet, they're, the, the, his race are, are prey. They're bred for the predator species. They, they have the ability to sense death, and apparently he, he senses that right now. We were biologically determined for one purpose and one purpose alone. To sense the coming of death. In a ready room, Giorgio is speaking with Admiral Anthony Michael Hall and updating him on the situation. No, seriously, seriously, I I had to look this up. Terry Serpico of Donnie Brasco fame plays Admiral Anderson, but wow, dude looks just like AMH. I, I had to look at it when I first watched the episode, and even on a rewatch, I'm just like, are you, are you sure that's not Anthony Michael Hall? Anyway, they're discussing the violent nature of the Klingons. Burnham steps into the conversation as the Admiral says to do everything they can to seek a peaceful resolution. Burnham talks about the Klingon desire for battle, that hostility is in their nature. Anderson chides her for making generalizations based on race, to which she responds, With respect, it would be unwise to confuse race and culture. Good stuff there, br brief as it is. He ends the conversation commanding them to do nothing, barring provocation. Then... <laughs> Blinding light, Blinded by the light comes on outside the ship. It's so bright, even with the filters at 100%, it's nearly blinding on the bridge. The light and a signal pulse uh, are coming from the object where Burnham encountered the, the torchbearer. They speculate as to what the purpose of the signal is. Burnham retreats into, into the ready room and reaches out to Sarek 
who at this point we learn was her stepfather. We confirm that Burnham's parents were killed in the Klingon attack from the flashback earlier on. In the conversation, Sarek speculates about a new leader in the Klingon Empire and states that new leadership can drive an organization to unexpected action. He tells of the Vulcan's first contact with the Klingons 240 years ago, but also states that this was a uniquely Vulcan response. Burnham runs out and immediately shares what she learns with Giorgio, and she does so on the bridge in front of absolutely everyone. The Vulcans were immediately attacked and they were destroyed. So from that point forward, every time the Vulcans encountered the Klingons, they immediately opened fire. They said hello in a language the Klingons understood. Burnham challenges Giorgio openly to attack immediately. Giorgio takes her back to the ready room right away and appropriately jumps down her throat for questioning and challenging her in front of the crew. Computer, privacy. How dare you challenge me? Don't you realize that kind of talk can destabilize a crew? Burnham, Burnham screwed up here. She screwed up big time. She let her passion override her training. Challenging her commanding officer publicly and aggressively put Giorgio in an unwinnable position. She was immediately put on the defensive, and no matter how she responded, other than the way that she did, she would have lost the respect of her crew. Burnham had credible and important information to share. Had she taken Giorgio into private, presented her plan, maybe things would have turned out differently. Maybe, maybe Giorgio would have heard what she had to say. Instead, Giorgio had to manage the incident and order Burnham to stand down. Again, Burnham's mistake was letting her passion override her training and her education. That's a thing that we run into all the time in daily life. We may have an interaction, a conversation, something that hits us the wrong way. And when we allow, when we allow ourselves to, to forget our learned behaviors, uh, the, 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 the consequences can be catastrophic. And in this case, Burnham's mistake, as we'll see, uh, may have cost countless, countless lives. In the ready room, as Giorgio orders Burnham to stand down the hits the fan. Roddenberry's vision of no conflict between Starfleet personnel is soundly put to rest. Rest in peace. As Burnham straight up Vulcan nerve pinches Giorgio. No remorse, no repent. Boom, Giorgio goes down. Burnham rushes to the bridge and starts issuing orders to prepare to fire on the Klingon ship. Saru is the only one. He stands up to her and he refuses to listen. Others on the bridge aren't as courageous and tactical targets the Klingon vessel. Just as Burnham commands them to fire, Giorgio comes out, phaser in hand, and again orders her to stand down. Fire! Belay that order! Stand down. Suddenly, the light shuts down and an absolutely horrifying number of Klingon ships drop out of warp. Super cool visual here, and they are all just staring down the tiny, tiny Shenzhou. At this point, the episode ends, but the next episode continues the story directly, so we're going to continue. We're going to follow this to the end. So here, we start Battle at the Binary Stars. We start with a flashback to seven years prior when Michael first came to the Shenzhou. We learn she's the only human to have attended the Vulcan Science Academy and that she's very much adapted to living and behaving as a Vulcan. Giorgio talks about how old the Shenzhou is 
And despite the very cold approach of Burnham, respect is earned as is friendliness. Giorgio engages in uplifting conversation in an attempt to make her feel welcome and needed on the ship. And your confidence is justified. Burnham is not on a Starfleet ship by choice. She wanted to join a Vulcan science expedition. Continuing to flex those leadership muscles, though, Giorgio persists. She wants nothing more than for Burnham to feel welcome and know she's valued. This laid the foundation over which seven years of partnership and service flourished between the two. Well, at least until a few minutes ago when Burnham dropped Giorgio and she had to pull a phaser out on her. But, you know, I mean, that aside, fantastic foundation that built the trust that we were able to see in action at the, uh, at the beginning of the Vulcan Hello. We come back to present times and Giorgio sends Burnham to the brig, citing the danger she's put the ship and her shipmates in. Incredible decision by Giorgio here. She's putting the safety of her ship and Starfleet above her own personal attachment. This had to have been a difficult decision for her, but it was the right decision. There are numerous examples of Giorgio starting with trust. I'd say that clearly that's been her default approach. Burnham, though, despite her intentions, acted completely irrationally and deceptively. Given what is currently known by everyone, for, for Giorgio to do anything other than send her to the brig would have endangered the entire ship and completely compromised her position as a leader. The heads of the Klingon houses and ships that have arrived begin to assemble via holographic communication. Takuvma immediately begins chiding them for their selfish concerns. He speaks of duty and honor, while others speak of their personal priorities. The assembled leaders make up the Klingon Council, a group that Takuvma does not belong to. Much like Vok, his new torchbearer, Takuvma's actually an outsider himself. We learn his house had in fact fallen from grace under his father's leadership, and he, Takuvma, committed himself to restoring his house's honor after his father's death. He again speaks of unity honor and duty in an attempt to unite the houses. He states the single doctrine under which his house lives. Remain Klingon. Instead, they don't hear him. They just insult him and Voke, Voke passionately comes to Takuvma's defense and ends up sharing that they have cloaking technology. Hmm. That'll become interesting later. Cole, one of the leaders, calls everyone absolute fools. He says he's done listening. But the other leaders are now interested. They'd like to hear more. Takuvma uses this opportunity to build Klingons up as a pure people. Not filthy and mixed like the various races and species that make up the Federation. He calls them to battle. He calls for them to unite and crush the Federation. As a charismatic leader... He knows how to command an audience. He uses slogans that vilify the enemy and make his cause sound superior, just, righteous, almost religiously necessary. Again, he is inspiring people to follow him. This absolutely is an example of a leadership style, possibly effective in the short term, but again, this is not sustainable. His story, his leadership style, and the results he's achieving are not too subtle comparison to another very charismatic leader that used fear-mongering slogans and, and racial themes to unite a person against their diverse perceived enemies back 1930s and 
40s in there. Back to the action, Giorgio makes a last attempt to communicate with the Klingons as more Starfleet ships arrive. She's firm, yet diplomatic, in asking them to leave Federation space. Unknowingly, though, she makes the biggest mistake possible, confirming everything that Takuvma has said so far. She says, We come in peace. From here, it is on. The Klingons begin chanting, Remain Klingon, as they open fire. The Starfleet ships are completely outgunned, completely outclassed. They are being decimated. Giorgio keeps her cool through all of this, but it is clear things are not going well. Some really great visual displays of all of this as we see the brig or, or, or what's left of it. Burnham's in her cell. It's held together by force fields that are exposed to open space. Even the Shenjo has almost been completely destroyed. Somehow, Sarek is able to reach out to Burnham across the galaxy. He claims that their first mind meld when he helped to save her from an attack on the Vulcan Learning Center when she was a child, uh, an attack from logic extremists, as we'll see at some point in uh, Star Trek Enterprise. But at that point, he placed part of his Katra in her, which allows this unique form of connection. He simply encourages her. You must do better. In the battle, there's a glimmer of hope. The USS Europa, the Admiral's ship, has arrived. He attempts to communicate with them and proposes a ceasefire. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Your offer of a ceasefire is accepted. So the Europa lowers their defenses. Takuma's cloaked ship uses the opportunity to ram through that ship, splitting it in two. So that's happening. The Europa initiates a self-destruct to damage the Klingon ship. More Klingon ships show up, and they destroy almost all of the remaining Federation ships. Takuvma gloats to the assembled Klingon leaders, and Voke calls on them to follow. They do, and they call him Takuvma the Unforgettable. The remaining Klingons warp out of the system, with the exception of the flagship, it sends a communication across all channels. We do not desire to know you, but you will know our great houses, standing as one under Kalish, reborn in me, Takuma. Computer's warning that a containment field failure on the brig is imminent. After the talk with Sarek, Burnham kirks the computer into dropping the containment field. Jackson Roy Kirk, your creator, is dead. You have mistaken me for him. You are in error. So she can get back into the superstructure of the Shenzhou. In the aftermath, the Klingon flagship is damaged from the Europa, and it begins to tractor beam all their dead from open space to entomb them and attach them to the hull of the ship. In a display of visual leadership that that is not to be taken lightly, this is a big thing, Takuvma vows to entomb them all with his own hands. When your culture is completely based on on battle, on violence, um, on, on, on being at war, and the ultimate price you can pay, the, the ultimate, um, I guess, a tribute that you can offer is yourself to, to die. For him to commit and then, and then follow through on entombing each one of them individually and with his own hands speaks volumes to his dedication to his vision here. I think what's powerful in this is not that not that he's entombing the dead, but he's walking the talk. He's, he's modeling the vision 
and and showing how far he is willing to go. Takuma, a very flawed leader with a style that is not sustainable overall, isn't good. But he has these these moments, these flashes of absolute brilliance. Uh, when you can set yourself as a leader to to serve to to take that lowest kind of position ever. Wow, the the, the impact that has on people is, is almost immeasurable. On the show, back to the show, Saru comes up with a plan to deliver a photon torpedo to the neck of the flagship, the sarcophagus ship, stating that would that would completely disable the vessel. Giorgio approves of his plan, but volunteers to pilot the worker bee that will be needed to hold the torpedo. Burnham enters the bridge, and really, really, really good timing here, right? <laughs> but she enters the bridge right here and warns that killing Takuvma will just turn him into a martyr. It'll totally embolden the Klingons. So she proposes capturing him instead to make him a single defeat. Let's take him as a prisoner of war. This leads to a heartfelt discussion between Giorgio and Burnham. Giorgio has a great line here. I was a human who had seen a life of loss, but still chose hope. She goes on to blame herself for Michael's actions. Burnham tries to defend her actions, but but ultimately she offers to deliver the torpedoes in, in, in Giorgio's place. At this point, though, Giorgio notices the Klingons are are tractor beaming the, the dead back into the ship, and that changes their plans. They beam an exposed warhead onto one of the dead bodies that's on its way back to the sarcophagus ship, and... It detonates, and the neck of the flagship is broken. It's left drifting with shields down. Burnham and Giorgio beam to the flagship to capture Takuma. Man, this is not your grandma's Star Trek fighting. Exciting, violent fight scene as Burnham and Vogt go at it, and Giorgio pairs off with Takuma. Michelle Yeoh, who plays Giorgio, is, she, God, she's incredible. Any chance to see her in a fight scene is a don't-miss occasion. She looks great and makes Takuma look like an absolute beast. Just as Burnham gets the upper hand, grabs her face to take out Takuvma, he stabs and kills Giorgio. Saru on the Shenjo immediately reads the loss of her life sign, totally overreacts, and beams Michael back to the Shenjo at the exact second that she shoots and, and, and kills Takuvma. Burnham, if she's deceased and you're in danger, I have no choice. No! A bloodied Voke confirms Burnham's fear as, as he declares Takuvma's death will be the cause to unite all Klingons. The episode comes to a close in, in a dark Federation courtroom as Burnham pleads guilty to charges of assaulting a fellow officer, mutiny, and precipitating war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Guilty on all counts. She's stripped of all rank, all honors, and is sentenced to a lifetime in prison. And that's it. That's Discovery. So I, I gotta be honest, I, I thought this one was gonna be a challenge to look at through the lens of leadership development, <laughs> and I couldn't have been more wrong. Of course, the, the two incredible and polar opposite examples of leadership die at the end, so we'll see what the rest of season one has to offer. But I won't lie, if you've watched the series, I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the episodes in season two. I'm recording this episode as we are awaiting a premiere date for season three of Discovery. So I'll acknowledge right up front that this series is still really controversial among a lot of the fans of Trek. Trekkies, do we still say that? Trekkers, those still... 
Anyway, despite the controversy, I, I love this series. I really enjoyed the series kickoff that we just went through. A lot of departures from Trek of old, but that happened back when The Next Generation debuted too. Oh yeah, and when DS9 debuted. And when Voyager, and yeah, you, you get the picture. This is kind of how Star Trek works. By far, this is the best produced, the most well thought out series premiere to date, uh, to, to the time that Discovery premiered. The effects were unreal, absolutely gorgeous. Characters well thought out, and the actors had a very solid grasp on them. I understand that this two-parter was meant to serve as kind of a prologue to the rest of the series, and that's that's why I chose to do them together here. But I tell you what, these two episodes absolutely hooked me. Command codes verified. So, so this is a weird one, right? I'm going to talk about Takuvma and Giorgio here, but they're dead, so not a lot to look forward to as they develop. Or or don't develop. Michael Burnham is clearly the protagonist in this series. Through the second season, it has, <laughs> through the second season, it's even been called Star Trek, Michael Burnham by some. But this is unique in Star Trek because though she's the protagonist, she's not really the leader here. I mean, there's a handful of moments, and as we go through the series, um, you know, we'll be sure to point out those moments where she demonstrates leadership, but, uh, but, but, but leadership really is not the primary focus uh, of the character of Michael Burnham. So, Takuvma. One of the cool things about new Star Trek is that they have coordinated all of their media. Comic books line up with novels that line up with what's on TV. Before this, there were tons of comics and novels of all the other series, but they stood on their own totally separate from what we saw on TV and what is acknowledged as canon. But not Discovery. Discovery, it all lines up. They use the other media types to really flesh out a a lot of the details in the other stories. Takuvma's background, that are just a couple few seconds of flashback here, is the subject of a four-part comic book series called The Light of Kalis. Totally worth checking out. Between that and what we see of Takuvma here, my read on him is that he sees himself as a visionary, as a as a prophet. He seeks to unite his people around being Klingon, the racial supremacy of being Klingon, and in their belief in Kalis. He believed the Federation threatened absolutely everything about both of those things. He used fear. He used charismatic speeches to rally his followers. It's hard to argue about the effectiveness of the leadership style, though. I mean, I've got to be honest, it, it works. And it works really, really well. But then, but then it completely backfires. And it completely backfires 100% of the time. Human history is absolutely littered with leaders like this. They were all successful in leading and inspiring their followers, but it never lasted long. Leading from fear simply is not sustainable. You're either in the inner circle or you're not. And there is a big difference between those statuses. In the main difference between them is how sycophantily you parrot the leader's message, right? Like if you want in, you say the things that you need to say. People are not brought in or, or promoted based on their skills or their abilities. I mean, look at Voke. He moves from complete obscurity, no house, no status, to Takuma's right hand just by showing unwavering loyalty and support to Kalis, to Klingons, and above all else, 
Takuvma and his vision. Takuvma's story ends, but the first season of Discovery, we see what plays out from his vision and from his leadership style. Spoiler alert, uh, we will see immediately after this that the remaining houses that were united by Takuvma in this episode have completely forgotten his message. All they care about is getting the cloaking technology that the sarcophagus ship provided and the the prospect of war with the Federation. In fact, the next episode of Discovery picks up six months after the end of this episode, and Takuvma is little more than a whisper. With all of his vision, all of his passion, his leadership approach reduced it all down to a simple opportunity to, to just go to war with the Federation. Now, Captain Philippa Giorgio. First episode hadn't even finished airing, and she was already my vote for best Star Trek captain. Maybe not my favorite, but definitely the best. In these first two episodes, we see such a master class on leadership from her that it breaks my heart that she died. Now, what we get instead, closer to the end of the season, spoilers here a little bit again, is totally awesome and such a great opportunity to see Michelle Yeoh do, do what she says, does best. But, God, she was really shaping up to just be the ideal captain, an example of, of a leader. She is all Starfleet all the time. She understands, I mean deeply understands the values and the mission of Starfleet. She's aligned her actions and her behaviors with them. I once had a mentor that encouraged me to develop my personal mission statement. Why am I on this planet consuming precious resources? After a lot of thought and intense discussion with my mentor, um, I determined that my personal mission statement is to improve the lot of others through my interactions with them. Sounds good, right? Well, it's the next part. That's really cool. Now that I know my mission, why I exist, I can examine the missions of organizations to determine if I want to work with them or not. If an organization's mission doesn't align with my personal mission, there's no way I'll be happy or I'll ever feel accomplished working with them. And and, and honestly, they're not going to get the best out of me. It's 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 total lose-lose. Now, I don't know what Giorgio's personal mission statement was, but we can draw some inferences. In a ready room, we see many classic-looking books, what appear to be plaques or awards, and a telescope. Pursuit of knowledge, pride in accomplishment, and exploration. All values that would build a mission statement that would likely align very well with Starfleet. So I want to challenge all of you to go through that exercise. I want you to develop your personal mission statement. It's not a contest. It's not about trying to come up with something cool it's trying to come up with something that you can align your, your actions to, your behaviors and your goals. And it's not about thinking about something in the now. Uh, as, as a parent myself and others, I, I've heard from colleagues that would say their mission on this planet is to, is to be a good parent. But the reality is, the reality is you may not always be a parent. Uh, you know, someday your kids are going to grow up. Someday they're going to need you more as a confidant and a supporter than a, a parent necessarily. Read your own into that, but uh, you know, I think there's more to it. Terrible things could happen and you, you, you may outlive your, your children. The, the point is that you as an individual, you go on, you persist, you last. So what is it that you exist on this planet for? I'm dying. I'm dying to know what you come up with. I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken, uh, J-E-F-F-T-A-K-I-N. Let me know. Let me know your personal mission statement. I think that once you've developed that, it's an absolute game changer when it comes to charting your course. And as we saw here with Giorgio, really put her in a position to be an, an unflappable leader 
to, to accrue even in the most dire of situations. She develops trusting relationships with those she works with. She encourages lively and sometimes contentious discussion among her crew. In fact, she actually feeds the contention a little bit between them. She actively capitalizes on their strengths and their differences to help develop a better and more thought out final decision. It's one of the many benefits of diversity, right? She works to create beyond even just the diversity there. She, she works to create inclusive and welcoming environments. She has those difficult and necessary conversations with her crew to help them develop and to move on to the next step in their careers. I want to dive in a, a little bit on the lively and contentious discussion among her crew. In the scene where Burnham and Saru are discussing the damaged probe, there, there's clear tension between them. You get the sense that this goes beyond the professional. And in fact, from these episodes, we see they are very, very opposite people. Saru being extremely risk averse and Burnham is one of those people actively seeking risk. Giorgio allows them to talk unchecked for a moment. While they're being contentious, they're actually being very productive in their talk and they're building ideas off of each other. Just as the tension gets to the point that it could cross the line, become unprofessional and possibly hurtful, Giorgio steps in. She uses some humor, brings them back on point. Beautifully managed moment. And it works really well because of all the work that she's done to get to this moment. She knows both of them very, very well. She knows their strengths. She understands their communication styles. Also, and possibly most importantly, she trusts them. She trusts that they're approaching the problem with a solution mindset and that they're verbally sparring with the best of intent. Because of all this, she knows the precise second to interject and refocus them on the situation. Ah, it's a shame she's gone. I mean, this is a captain I would want to serve under. Imagine, imagine having a manager, having a boss that is focused on you, that has your best interests in mind, that knows how to get the best out of you, that trusts you, and that you can trust. More than that, one that is transparently dedicated and personifies the values and the mission of the organization you both work for. Philippa Giorgio, rest in peace. Well, one thing we know for sure, moving forward with Discovery, it doesn't fit into any mold that Star Trek has laid out before it. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, I think the first season of The Next Generation suffered so much because they were trying to recreate the original series. We'll have the chance to examine multiple captains and leaders. I'm really looking forward to the rest of Discovery. What did you think of the start of Discovery? Uh, am I alone in thinking Giorgio is the ideal Starfleet captain? And what about Takuvma? I'd love to talk about your impressions of him. I, I saw him as a Hitler, while Chris Obi, the actor that portrayed him, saw him more as a Moses. Moses, is it you? What did you think? You can catch me across social media again at Jeff T. Aiken, J-E-F-F-T as in Thomas, A-K-I-N. Hit me up. Join me next time when we go back to the very beginning. Well, kind of the beginning. The beginning as far as what was seen on TV. We're going to meet Kirk. We're going to meet Spock and some of the rest. And we check out where no man has gone before from the original series. Until then. Ex Astris Scientia.
Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric acid.